Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast on the Pit Podcast Network. My name is Shad. I'm joined tonight by Brad and Matt. We're happy you all joined us. Tonight we're going to be doing a retrospective, looking back at a pretty unique event in wrestling history. But first, we have to take care of the most important business. The most important business we can handle on one of these podcasts. And Matt, what would that be? Uh, that would be a shout out to Epico Cologne. Um, uh, I haven't been able to actually thus far get a hold of Epico and trying to stalk his social media. Um, I have on um, good authority, though, by someone who was close to him that Epico actually has a favorite movie. Uh, Shad, I don't know if you were aware of this. Does he really? No, it wasn't. Yeah, you want to actually I, I, I found the the trailer for that yeah. movie. You want to you want to hear it right now? Uh, let's hear it. All right. Charlie Wilcox is having a bad day, but help is on the way. Can you hear it? Yes. Ramsey. I'm here to rent the apartment. Commando. Hogan, like you've never seen him before. <laughs> Skateboarding, child raising, no! crime fighting. Charlie Wilcox has just discovered the solution for all. Charlie Wilcox. Your favorite part's coming up, Chad. Oh. Okay. There you go. <laughs> I was frozen today. Who am I to argue with Epico Cologne? <laughs> uh, good old Hulk what? Hogan's Hollywood movies. Oh, man. Watching the trailer uh, makes me want to watch this film again. It's oh. it's probably like I said it's probably the best of his. I I want to at some point watch some Hogan movies for this just because. Oh, uh, we have to we have to watch No Holds Barred. I mean that fits yeah, in with what yeah. we're going to be talking hey, about look, tonight. If as long as we don't have to sit through Santa with muscles, because I'm no offense to anybody out there, but I might just have a seizure if I have to watch that again. So, it, would you, in your estimation, is it worse than um, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians? They're just so different. Like, one of them is... One of them is outlandish, right? One of them is, is like, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians just is weird and bad, right? Santa with muscles wants to be taken seriously, and that... You know, you know what I love about doing a podcast of the two of you is Uh-oh. I can throw something out there like Santa Claus conquers the Martians, and people aren't slowly reaching for the phone to dial nine one one because they think I lost my mind. I think that's a fair point. So, we... um, in honor of what we're doing tonight, I do have a little something to say. Okay, gentlemen, as you know, the ultimate warrior. There goes our PG rating for this episode. So probably, <laughs> probably what this pay-per-view is most famous for. I don't know. It's, it's in the top three. I would say it's in the top three. So we actually said what we're doing yet, or we just kind of, no, no, we've kind of danced around it. Um, <laughs> 
we're going to be talking about SummerSlam 1989. So I have a uh, weird history with SummerSlam 1989. So... Back in ye olden days when I was a young teenager, I used to love to, in the summer, rent um, WWF VHSs from Blockbuster. I got them on that VHS there. Yep. And this, they had all the Summer Slams except for this one. So mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever seen... I think I, I think I finally saw this like at some point in the mid-2000s. <clears> but <throat> for a long time, this was like the one Summer Slam I had not seen all the way through. Uh, I feel like I own this one on VHS. Um, I could be wrong, but I think that I did. If it wasn't this one, it had to have been like SummerSlam 88, but I think it was this one. It's it's an odd show because, I mean, really, it's notable for its main event, for the Intercontinental match, title match, and for that outtake. And... Um, I actually kind of think this is a forgotten, really good show from this era. It's it's pretty good um, the whole way around, but it's that's not what people remember it for. No. So, okay, here's what I'm going to do then is we're going to try and 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 make our way through this, and um, you know we'll see what uh, see what we come up with. Now, apparently, the pre-show to this. The the copy that I watched did not have Dino Bravo over defeat Coco Beware. So, I unfortunately. I don't think they taped it, probably. Okay. Well, unfortunately, so we can't really talk about that one. But the match that kicks off the, the card proper is the Brain Busters, Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard with Bobby Heenan, facing off with the Hart Foundation, Bret Hart and Jim Neidhart. <sighs> Wrinkle in this is that the Brainbusters are the tag team champions, but Jesse Ventura describes in commentary that this match was signed before they won the titles, and therefore the titles are not on the line. I do want to take a second and say that Jesse Ventura and Tony Schiavone are a pretty good commentary team through this whole show. Yeah, I, this I was shocked. I forgot that this was part of that weird like year-long period where Schiavone actually worked for the WWF and did a, like a few shows for them. Um, and it was, they did a good job. Tony, yeah, I feel Tony's lack of being a cartoon character really is a nice, refreshing, uh, change of pace. You can kind of see where that comes from in that he's, he's trying to lend drama and impact to, the people watching it through his commentary, but he's also trying real hard to do like straight commentary too. So I was, I was kind of blown away by this cause I know they had a couple other matches, but this is kind of, if this was, if this match was occurring in this era, there would be massive hype around having Bret Hart interacting with Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this is a pretty good match, I thought. Even, it, yeah. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, this was like I thought this was an excellent match. It it's still surreal to me to see like Tully and and Arn in the WWF, even though they're only there for like what a year. Yeah, about. Um, uh, before Tully decided to you know do a bunch of cocaine and get popped for you know drug violations. Um, everything they kind of did here was really 
crisp. Um, it, I thought a couple things I thought were really interesting. I liked, even though the hearts were the the faces here, it was interesting to see them cheating in in terms of like you know coming in without tagging and things like that. Um, they kind of dominated most of the match, right? At least early on. Yeah, the hearts. Yeah. Yeah, and then the, the thing that I loved, and this was something that only Jesse could really do this and, and and offer it with like the beautiful like indignation that he would always do, and it was a good commentary team with Tony because Tony played off it well. But how incensed that Ventura <laughs> would get whenever the faces would do something, any cheating or or anything underhanded like he immediately starts into talking about the the biased officiating by morella <laughs> dude i love that's a great ventura and I he's just that. like going off on joy morella not doing his job <laughs> and it was amazing i loved it yeah it, the thing that I, I agree with you. It's great because ventura was really good at like bringing out those details except he was still a heel commentator because if the heels did, he'd be like, well, it's whatever you have to do to win a match. But when the faces did, he's like, they're supposed to be good guys. What's up with them? You know? And that was a lot of fun because Shivani's just like, well, what are you going to do? They've already done it. They didn't get disqualified. I'm going to keep calling the match. Yeah. I, uh, and I love, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I kind of agree with the, it's weird seeing them in the WWE because Tully and Arn feel really out of place. Yeah. Kind of because the style that they were working isn't really like the style that was in the tag team division at that point. Now, um, they had some, there were some good tag teams, but I mean, when you're, when your division is kind of heavily revolving around, or at least it was before that with people like demolition who were more of like power based team, like them coming in, and working at like this southern style, very technical and everything. It's kind of it, it was, was kind of like a and, styles clash. And the pace was very quick for a WWF match of the time. Mm, yeah. If I were to have a complaint about this match, it would be that it seems like it was kind of booked backwards because you have the Heart Foundation basically just running the Brainbusters all over the place. Yeah. Until the end when the Brainbusters make a comeback and get a win. I think maybe it's that they're since it's the first match on the card, they're trying to get the crowd hyped up and excited, so they're having the Heart Foundation do this. That makes sense. It just like to me it, it, it just kind of like threw my radar off. I think it made sense the way they the way um the fancy this, the announcing set something up. Um <laughs> the announcers really set up the the tough position the Hart Foundation was in where they were in this match where they can't win the titles but their future is at stake so they yeah. so the Hart's dominating kind of comes across as a, a certain level of desperation that they have to win this match because if they don't then that title shot's just not going to come and then yeah. it's kind of the the brain busters weather that storm and they just kind of opportunistically pick off a win from mm-hmm. them. So I think I think it is weird and like it did set my radar off too, but I think in the context that the announcers set it up in, the match makes a lot of sense in that this is pretty much 
the Hart Foundation having to throw everything that they have at the champions, whereas the champions, eh, if they lose, they have to defend against them, but they don't necessarily need to win this match. And then they just kind of pick their spot and steal one. Yeah. And like we said, overall, it's a good match. Um, it's intriguing to watch. So, okay. The next match on the card was, I think it's a good example of the rock and wrestling stuff because this match was rather cartoony. We had the Honky Tonk Man with Jimmy Hart taking on the American Dream Daddy Dusty Rhodes in full American polka dot Dream. glory. I, I hated the promo Dusty <laughs> had before this. That promo, incidentally, you know, bit of trivia because I know you people just burn for this trivia, right? Is that is the promo where the Botchamania insane Dusty commentary clip comes from. Because you can watch it and you can see, like, the way he's twitching and turning and stuff. Cutting, frankly, a rather weird promo. So there's, a, there's a brief period of time in, like, um, late 90, early 91 when Dustin's around, where Dusty's kind of, like, at the end of his um, contract. And um, he's still wearing the polka dots, but he's starting to wear, like, a leather jacket. And, like, the, the real Dusty Rhodes promos come back. And, like, oh, yeah. there's this, like, three-month period where he's just cutting these, like, great, like, promos that are probably the best in the company. But that's, that w- that's a trivia aside. That was always, you know, because you look at Dusty, and you're kind of like, okay, come on. What? But it was it was the charisma that came out in so many of the promos that made Dusty so special. I have you know, a, and this I have a, I have he didn't really have that here. <laughs> sweet sapphire. Yeah, sweet sapphire. But they needed to bring in like Jimmy Valiant for that too. <laughs> oh God. Because have you ever seen like an '85 when Valiant like? Uh, gets that lady to keep Dusty company, and it looks like the biggest like crack hoe you've ever, you've ever seen. I don't recall this. Yeah, I only re- I only recall the eight thousand year feud between Jimmy Valiant and uh, Paul Jones. Yeah. So I am going to probably go against the grain here and say I actually I'm not calling this an all time classic or anything, but I really enjoyed this match for what it was. This actually was a fun match. Um, I, Dusty actually felt was very over, and all the parts where he was in control are actually a lot of fun. And him chasing um, Jimmy Hart around was a fun novelty. Mm-hmm. It was fun. That that's the thing is you just kind of had a match, you know, right here at the beginning of the card that was silly fun between two like big over the top characters, and you got to enjoy it. You know, it, it, there's you don't have to worry about any like baggage on it or anything. You get just get to see these two guys go out there and screw around in the ring for a while, and it's fun to watch. I would actually be willing to say too. I think this is probably the best honky tonk man um, performance I've ever seen in the WWE. I'm gonna ask for you to to kind of expound on that a little. The best like like entering performance I've seen from the honky tonk man as far as huh. his WWF work goes. Hmm. 
I'm going to be real honest with you. I was so busy watching Dusty goof off that I didn't really pay attention to Honky Tonk. He, usually his matches are terrible and not fun. <laughs> I can't I can't call it his best match ever because he was in one of those Tupelo concession stand brawls, which would probably be his best match. But um, yeah, those are those are just a different animal entirely. But fun. you know it's fun. It's fun. So the next match on the card was Mr. Perfect. And this was early on in the Mr. Perfect gimmick, I think. I think he was coming up on about a year in the WWF. Defeating the Red Rooster, who was Terry Taylor. But this this was a... a, This was not a good match. It was not a good match. It was not a good gimmick. It was not a good match. The... I I almost because they did this spot where like, um, he they like, Henning like fell on him when he went for a body slam. The commentators kind of pl- played it off like it was meant to happen, but like there was like this weird energy after that, which kind of makes me wonder if Taylor actually got hurt. You know, it seems possible. The The commentary team did a really good job covering for it because they were like, oh, look, Mr. Perfect shifted his weight to go into a cover here. And I'm like, you know, that's that's good work on their part. And then I didn't did notice that. I didn't I didn't really understand the spot. So but if you watch because I watched Taylor after that and he was a little limber on the leg. But I don't know if that was selling or not. But like there was a weird energy like after that. And it seemed like they were trying to just go home as quick as possible. Yeah, I can believe that. It was kind of a... This is like a TV it, squash match, pretty much. It just, yeah, it just didn't work. And unfortunately, you had Terry Taylor in this throwaway gimmick. Yeah, do, do either one of you have any idea as to what the, the point of the gimmick was? Uh, yes. So, so there is... <laughs> Oh, you both know. Like, I don't know. So there's, a, there's a story. I think Bruce Pritchard tells it. I don't know if I believe this, but he swears to God that Vince's idea for this was it was a good gimmick because the rooster fucks all the chickens. <laughs> that sounds that I actually that kinda, sounds like Vince. Yeah, it sounds like Vince. So that actually I could believe that story. I can give you the kayfabe story, which was. Terry Taylor was being managed by uh, Bobby Heenan, and at one point Bobby Heenan said, you're not what matters. It's me that's going to be the key to your success, so I'm going to rename you just to prove my point. Renamed him the Red Rooster, and then the story was that he broke away from Heenan to be like, no, I can do this on my own, but never changed out of the stupid gimmick. It's a horrible gimmick. Yeah. Because he walks the ring basically just to Rooster Crowing. And he should have he should have evolved into the gobbledygooker. <laughs> It'd be like proto Pokemon things going on. Wow! So bad match. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is this. If you want to, if you want an idea of what this match is like, think about like a match with Lanny Poffo losing on TV, and that's what you're getting here. Speaking of which. There is a Lanny Poffo sighting later in the show. There is later on, um, yeah, which we can talk about uh, when it comes it. up on it. Oh, no, I was going to talk about just Terry Taylor briefly. Oh, uh, yeah, go for it. When he was done with this, he actually did go back to um, 
he went to WCW again. Mm-hmm. I guess well, he was there when it was back in the, the NWA. But Taylor made man. Yeah, I actually didn't mind that. I thought she. I thought he was. They at least he was one. He was one of those guys who would work the undercard, but they'd let him put on like twenty minute matches on like WCW Saturday Night, the Mothership, and they would actually be pretty entertaining for what they were. So he had that, but then. He, I guess he was back in uh, WWF a little bit later than, than that, and I remember him having like a good TV match with uh, with like Ric Flair before when Flair was like on his way out. He he has a couple of matches on like really early Raws. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was actually where the the Ric Flair match was on. It was on yeah. one of the the first year of Raw. I think it might have been Mister Perfect. And it might have been. Um, oh, you're right. Actually, I take it back. Yeah, I'm. Because it might have been that one where they, where Flair and Perfect get into it, and then they have their loser leaves town match the next week. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember. It's been a while since I watched those. So, interestingly, no Terry Taylor's really kind of made his mark as an agent too, um, and from what I understand, a pretty good one. Um. You know, I have not heard his name attached to a lot of stinkers. Um, then again, if you've been an agent for a long time, you're going to have some stuff that doesn't work that you try to get to work too. So, who knows, right? Yep. Okay, the next match on the card. This one went. This one went for a while. It was a six-man tag match where you had the fabulous Rougeos. With Rick Martel and Rick Martel, not with, they were managed by both Jimmy Hart and Slick against the Rockers and Tito Santana. Incidentally, Tito Santana seems to be the same size now as he was back then, which I don't know if that speaks to the fact that he just kind of was able to maintain or if there was some other stuff at play or what, but. See, he's a decent enough guy, and you Hold know, on. I, I'm uh, trying to pull something up for for Brad. Yes. <laughs> so I I forget about their theme music, but they have they have um they have really. Hold underrated. on, here we go. Here we go. That theme is so '80s and it's beautiful. Yes, and, it is, and it's 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 underrated for how great it is because you're if you're listening to that out of context, you're like, wow, that really sucks. But that's the <laughs> kind of music a heel should have because it's annoying and like it's really douchey. Like it fits their their like you know they're waving the little tiny flag thing. You know, gimmick. yes, that's what actually sold the gimmick in my opinion. <laughs> the the small tiny little American flags. That music sounds like that. Whoever is working with them should come out to we built this city. And it's that's what it makes me think. Yeah, of. it does have a very uh, Jefferson Starship. It's a Jimmy Hart song too, actually. I believe. Yeah. I a lot of that stuff. Like he, um, Jimmy Hart, like has a hand in a lot of that music like the um three count music is jimmy hart i'd forgotten about that well you know he was <laughs> jimmy hart was in like um a, a hit like i guess the equivalent of like a boy band in the 60s no i didn't know that yeah they actually had like a, a legit charting single like they were in a movie what were they called hang on i've got to look this up yeah i'd have to look it up he was in a 
he as a teenager was a vocalist in the band called the Gentries. Yep. Who had a million selling record with 1965's "Keep On Dancing." Wow. No, I did not know that. Yeah, like he's. I mean, if you want to talk about someone that's like prolific music-wise in wrestling, it's Jimmy Hart. Wait a minute. Check this noise out. Okay, we know that he did music for people pretty much wherever he went, right? So he composed the music for the Honky Tonk Man, for Jimmy Snuka, for Brutus Beefcake, the Rockers, the Hart Foundation, Crush, the Rougeos, Dusty Rhodes, Legion of Doom, Nasty Boys, Ted DiBiase, the Mountie, Hogan, Sting, the Wolfpack, and Three Count. Yeah, I mean... Two of, two of these things are not like the others. Hey, he could change with the times. That's true. Now, he did not do Real American. Because Real American was done by the same guy who did the hit song Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo. <laughs> well, you, know wow. you know what's funny about Real American is if you get the... Um, the original album, like WWF album that that's on. That's Incidentally, that's Rick Derringer, by the yeah. way. So that song, that song on the the CD is for um, Barry Windham and Mike Rotunda, and then Hogan stole it. Really? Yeah. If you get the the album's out there to get. Uh, it's interesting because it has um, it has some really weird stuff on it. <laughs> But, um, I don't doubt it. It doesn't have the demolition theme or a jive soul bro because I think those are on Pile Driver. Pile Driver, the album. Yeah. Is that the one that had the the Hulk song that had the piano to it? No, I think that's the same one that has Real American. Okay. With the people chanting like Hulk or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know when Hogan started using it because for a long time he did the Eye of the Tiger. Probably till they got a cease and desist letter. Well, that was the eighties. Like no one, no one uh, enforced that stuff. That's why we have to get those god awful overdubs now. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so back to the match. Um, the Rougeos and Rick Martel, you know, versus the Rockers and Tito Santana. There's Chico, Chico Santana. <laughs> yeah. According to Jesse Ventura. According to Jesse Ventura. Uh, this was the one time in the whole show where I was sad that uh, Bobby Heenan wasn't on commentary. Because just hearing Keenan on commentary kind of rip on Tito and call it the flying jalapeno, his, his big forearm shot, the flying jalapeno and stuff. I didn't get a chance to ask Mr. Santana about it, but I have to admit I was pretty amused by it. You know, this was a weird match because... Um... Jesse was giving Tito some props on commentary, which he doesn't usually do for the faces. Yeah. I don't remember what he said, though. He was talking about how Tito was doing something really smart. It, the, I think it was that how Tito was trying to, to, to break loose from, from the other guys to try and get to make the tag. But, you know, they're doing the heel thing. They're cutting the ring in half. They keep dragging him back over to his corner. He can't get over to the rockers and that sort of stuff. But... Like Santana had, when he had had the agency to, he had the laser focus of trying to get over there and make the tag, mm-hmm. which is exactly what he should have done. You know, that's what makes sense, right? And so you had you had that happening, and Ventura's like, of course he's going to go for the tag. That's a smart thing to do. 
and um, you know it's 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 fun to watch that to see you know because you know nowadays we have the iceberg tags where you both guys go down and then they like crawl like their Xanax just kicked in towards the corner and they like flop their arm at the other guy and they miss by like a foot and then they lay there and look at it and they think oh it's so far as opposed to like these guys are just beating on on Tito and he keeps trying to make it over there and he keeps trying and he keeps trying they keep pulling him back it, it was you know it's a good match you know what I, I really appreciated about um, Tito is um, even like years later in the Royal Rumble, he would always make a beeline right for Rick Martel. Oh, that's nice. Like, yeah, they feuded for like two years. I think even like in 92, if he was in that one, he did it. Mm. That That's a nice touch. I like that. I had forgotten about it, but I like that. Also, his his flying forearm shot looks really good. I look at that and I think, oh, that's where AJ got the idea from. I don't know if he did or not, but it's what it makes me think. I he's um he's a really underappreciated wrestler. I think so. Yeah, and um, he's also one of those West Te- West Texas State guys. <laughs> Minneapolis and West Texas State. Just so many wrestlers came out of those two places. Tully Blanchard was the quarterback on the football team. I don't know if he was there when Tito was. Uh, what, the Funks went there? And Stan Hansen went there? I think Ted DiBiase did. DiBiase went there? Yeah. And I think Bruiser Brody went there? Yeah, I think Brody went there. Just, wow, that's... Yeah, because I think... I think in that I, I read a book recently. I think um, Hanson was talking about the first time he met Brody in college. Yeah, I can't remember. Somebody knew Brody before then, and they want it might have been DiBiase. He walks in and he sees Brody in the dorm room, and Brody looks at him. He goes, "Dude, don't tell anybody. I've got them all fooled here." It, so, it might have been DiBiase because he's in that book too. I'm uh, I'm looking it up. It seems like they were on the team at the same time, Tito and Tully. That makes sense, yeah. Wow. So, good match. This was a really good match. I I like the six-man that comes a little later a little better than this match, but I really enjoyed this match. Yep. This was a lot of fun. Um, I love the old-school healing that happened. A day, there's... It's such like an old spot that I don't even know people use it anymore, but it's one of my all-time favorite like double team heel spots is when one of them's doing like the abdominal stretch on a guy and the other one comes up and like pulls on his partner's uh, arm to kind of add more torque. Yes. Oh yeah. I love that well, spot. There was um the, well, go ahead, Chad. I, I have a funny story. The the reach that. the reach the reach through the ropes behind the ref's back one, or like you tagged in, you come in, you give it like a sharp yank. Cause I have done the reach through the ropes for the, the abdominal stretch spot before. <laughs> and it's so much fun because you just kinda cause like the ref starts looking around and you let go and you try and look innocent. 
And then whenever he gets down there to check on the guy, you reach out and do it, and the crowd gets so pissed at you. Because even if they know better, they're just livid that you're right there in front of them and you're doing this. And they're like, Rev, God, look! Look at it! And the ref's like, I am looking at him! There was, anyway, sorry. There was a, there was a Chikara six-man, I think, when the BDK were really um, big. And the faces... I think Fire Ant had... Um, one of them in an abdominal stretch and then they had the fans like line up and like grab his arms like going through the building <laughs> I'm sorry Matt what were you going to say and, oh no I, I was just laughing I was... And, and the same show had Eddie Kingston have like all the fans in the front row put their feet out and then he took the face and like slammed his face into each fan's like foot like just down the line <laughs> there's something to be said for some some funny novelty spots so anyway th- i think this match this match ends with tito getting the pin on or with rick martell getting the pin on tito santana yeah so it, like we said it was a good match i'd be interested to see if tito actually ever beat rick martell Given the era, I gotta think he did at some point. It's this is a weird time though, where Tito's starting to move down the card, and like his last real hurrah is um, that Intercontinental Title Tournament Final with Kurt Henning. Okay. But um, just for reference too, this is probably four-ish months after Rick Martel turned on him at WrestleMania. Oh, okay. Because that was that was a strike force, right? Yeah, and that was against I think the Brainbusters. Okay. Marta or um, Santana mentioned that at the panel I was at. So, all right. So the next match on the card is one of the notable ones that that people know about this for. It is Rick Rude, the Intercontinental Champion, with Bobby Heenan versus the Ultimate Warrior. This was after uh, Rude had taken the title off Warrior with Heenan's interference. This is the big rematch. Also, the Heenan family trying their best to just run all over the Warrior. There's um, the the video package kind of leading up, showing uh, all the everything that led to this match. It was actually pretty good. I, I thought it really did a good job of actually showcasing everything. Because mm-hmm. I mean, what word this this pay per view is almost. 30 years old at this point like you kind of need that context if you're trying to watch it today but i thought it was that it was excellent yeah i love the um the rick rude airbrushed tights were amazing yeah (laughs) um at the beginning of the match the thing that i i got a big kick out of (laughs) was you know rude did his his uh his little spiel at the beginning what did he call him because he always does summer slam sweat yes Yes. And then the beauty of that was that immediately Jesse goes, he's talking about you, Shivani. <laughs> can, can we take one moment? Tony Shivani's mullet is god awful. <laughs> I don't know what he was thinking. It was the 80s, man. Mullets were the thing. So what I really liked about this match is it felt like it felt like Warrior was this just force of nature that Rude was unsuccessfully trying to contain for most of the match. Mm-hmm. The I, I looked at it as kind of 
I might be using Sergeant Slaughter's words when I say this, but it kind of seemed like that the warrior was this bucking Bronco that Rude was trying to break and it didn't work. Yeah, that's how I, that's a good, that's a, that's a good description of it. Matt, do you have a, do you have a metaphor you want to use here? No. Um... This is also a match that if you think the warrior is like a worthless stiff in the ring, you should watch this match. This match was super interesting because it, in a lot of ways it started off just like a glorified squash, but then once Rude took over, it got really, really good. And Warrior was like completely like super over the entire match, but at the end of this, um, by the time when he like gets he, he wins the match and regains the title, the cr- the crowd was like nuclear hot. For mm-hmm. Warrior, like the entire place was on fire for, it. and you can kind of understand how they, you know, shortly thereafter, like hot shot at him to the, the title. But uh, there's some things I loved about this, like at, when he's going crazy outside at the beginning, um, and he like he even gives Rude like a belt shot. Oh yeah, and, I forgot about that. And that's another one of those times when Jesse just goes ballistic that the yeah. the face is doing something. He's like, that's uh. I think what Tony was like, oh, that's outside the ring. <laughs> like yeah. it was, that was okay. Yeah. It's legal. Tony's excuse and was kind of lame there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah like sure. once, once Ru- to go back to Brad's point, like uh warrior does show some really good stuff in this. Like when he's, when Rude's taking over and he's like trying to fight back and he's trying to put Rude away, he starts busting out things like a pile driver. It just got, it just got really good in, Another thing, like now that I think about it, what was the weird, what was the weird thing with Rue was basically power bombing him? Do you remember that spot? Uh, yes. No. Rue towards the end gives Warrior like this. It looks like it's supposed to be a power bomb, but he like dumps him on his head accidentally. I think. I Warrior was pretty sweaty, so he might have just. Mm. He might have just like lost his grip. I will say I, I, a really cool like understated spot in this is where rude goes for the rude awakening and warrior like just powers out of it but like the yeah camera- he reaches up and grabs his hands but to spread his hands off whoever the cameraman is caught like this brilliant like kind of like warrior's face and like the struggle like to get out of it yeah and jesse's reaction to that was really great like was like oh my god i can't believe he's he's, he's a- doing it yeah yeah, that was that was really that was a really cool spot, and it was interesting to me because after that, Rude never went for the Rude Awakening again. No, he didn't actually. Nope. Because he kind of because Rude in match wise, once he got out of that, Rude kind of fell apart and was just kind of trying anything and everything to try and get an advantage. Yeah. It, everything but the kitchen sink at him yep and then and then we get piper coming out and mooning him (laughs) what was the what started the the heat between piper and rude for this i don't honestly remember i don't think i've seen the tv around this so i don't i don't know like they had some heat going aside from the whole warrior thing um I mean, Rude was a loudmouth, so I imagine that had something to do with it. 
the other fun thing about this was that you know Piper shows up and Rude starts talking at him and like does the hip swivel at him, and Ventura's like, "Oh, Rude's giving it to him there," and then Piper moons him and he flips out and <laughs> Ventura's like, "What does Piper think he's doing?" Like he just totally flipped the coin, and that was a lot of fun to listen to because he's, he's he knows full well what he's doing, but the way he flips out on it's fun. I also want to say, um, we're, I'm taking a step back here. I hated the awful overdub music they used for this. Mm. I don't even know. Mm. I don't even know why. Um, why they had to change that? Because I think it was just some basic like stock music before. I don't know. It they dubbed it with like the the weird horn yeah, stuff. Yeah, because it was his other one was far better. I have no idea on that. Uh, also, I don't. But, I don't like poodle haircut. Rude. <laughs> now that was rude with the um, with see. the short hair after when he transitioned to being a manager. Uh, why did they do this shit? So I don't know why they yeah. needed to edit that out. Yeah, they they totally did not use that. Um, but uh, now my train of thought is completely gone. We were talking about his poodle haircut. <laughs> oh, whenever Rude became a manager and and went to being you know he managed for DX and the NWO and stuff, I thought he looked super badass the way that he was done up that. At that time, I thought he was in WCW with the more, um, the shorter haircut. Yeah, that's what he was doing in the the Ultimate Insurance era too. I thought he was bald then. No, nah, he he just had it all greased down. I thought. Okay. So, uh, this um, other notable things in this. Warrior press slams Rude to the outside at the beginning. Oh, that was mm-hmm. crazy because I was just like, holy shit. Like that. Yeah. The best I can figure is that Rude knows that whenever Warrior does it, he throws him face down, not face up, which means that he can control his landing. Because you saw he landed with his feet under him and then kind of scooted in order to, like, he didn't roll with it, but. Still, he was able to control his landing. That's a that's a long way down, and that's a crazy yeah. bump for the time too. There was that's true. There was something else kind of crazy in this match that I think I'm forgetting. Um, maybe it was maybe it was from a later match that I'm thinking. Maybe um, I can't think of another really crazy spot here. That powerball spot, I'm telling you. Nah, that might be what I'm thinking about. But I thought this was a really good match. This is um, easily, I think, the best match on the show. In terms of overall like work and the the heat, uh, I would at least say it's arguable. Like I think it probably would be. It's probably my favorite match of the the card. Yeah, I would say it, I would agree with that. It's good. And another nice thing about this is. Because I'm gonna be honest with you, the with 
the the Brain Busters and the Heart Foundation and the Rougeaus and Martel versus the Rockers and Santana, there were some parts in it that kind of seemed to drag a little bit. They're still good matches, but to me, they kind of seemed to drag a little bit. You didn't have that here. Stuff was paced. So, you know, it's like we go from here to here, here to here, here to... Like, there's a progression, and it makes sense. The only thing that took me out of this is I don't know if Jim Helwig did this as part of the warrior persona or if he was just like blown up all the time. But the fact that he like gasps in through his mouth and then breathes out by puffing his cheeks out <gasps> just that's, distracted me so much. That's kind of a character thing. Is it? Yeah. Okay. So th- that just distracts me so much. So I feel like I've watched a lot of WWF content from like the late 80s and early 90s. And this show feels really bizarre to me. I felt like I was watching an NWA show up to this point and a little bit. Yeah, I could see that because there's not a there's not a lot of cartoony stuff happening. No. You know, that that was I mean, aside from like Dusty and Honky Tonk, but. That was that was like one match in the midst of some, some pretty good stuff. Yeah, and, and things were kind of fast paced. It was a little work ratey. There's been some variety in the the match types. Mm-hmm. It just it just felt weird for a WWF show of this time period. I'll believe it. So, what did you okay, guys so- think of the Piper promo after this? I did not care much for it. I felt like Roddy had hit the nose candy a little too hard. That's not what I was going to say. <laughs> Entirely plausible. I, I half yeah. expected him to have a white mustache during that. but they, He was just all over the place. But whoever the camera guy was, they did it with someone else later. But the there were some really uncomfortable close-ups on guys' faces at points during promos where you can like see him spitting and stuff and it happened more than once on this show. Yeah. I did like the Heenan promo though where he was like almost incoherent cuz he was so upset. Yeah, that that was that was after the uh the Warrior Rude one. Like he with with Rude and Heenan there. Heenan is so mad. Like Rude's beside himself. He can't even talk, but Heenan's so mad that he's just can't keep his thoughts strung together but you know i have to i have to disagree with all of them it's rude's own fault he should have just done his job instead of getting well, all bent out of shape because piper mooned him yeah but i mean that's that's the thing is they they're not going to accept any um they're not going to accept any responsibility because they're heels yeah so Okay, so that was a good match. One of the ones that this is known for. The next, well, before we got to the next match, we had like a 10-minute promo video for the main event. Oh, God. So, <laughs> at this point, yeah. at this point, um, just seeing the bits of Zeus that they showed leading up to this, I knew we were in trouble. <laughs> Zeus, in, in this show and in the flashbacks reminded me of the younger brother in a Christmas story because his arms never seemed to go more than about closer to his body than about 40 degrees unless he was actively doing something with them. 
He uh, he was very Frankenstein esque in the ring. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Uh, yeah, I I just saw it. and I'm like, <sighs> I got to use my uh, my new fire stick, and I was like, fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. <laughs> Which, incidentally, streams the network way better than the Chromecast does. The um, the standoff with the chairs was kind of weird. Now, I, okay, so I, I didn't write this down, but they they do the, the, the promo with Sherry at the Cauldron later, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I don't know what that was about. <laughs> You know, she's... Have you ever noticed, like... Have you ever noticed with Sherry promos how that southern accent kind of comes and goes? I hadn't noticed it, but I I don't doubt that it does. If you watch it, she's trying not to have one, but she loses, like, her... her control on it at certain points. But, yeah, the the Calder thing, I'm like, what the... You know, it's just... Uh, it was weird. It was, and I laughed a lot. I felt really bad for Macho Man that he was the the world champion like four months before this, and he's been reduced to this. I don't know what this this cauldron's about, brother. Yeah, but I guess we're gonna go with it. Yeah, that's actually a really good Macho Man Thanks. impression. Oh, you know, I, I I'm gonna go on a slight digression, but um, my favorite episode of Space Ghost Coast to Coast ever was with um Randy Savage as the Gray Ghost. Oh my God, I'd have to go find that. And he's like, he's like, Grandpa, what happened? He's like, and they're like, he fell down. He's like, he's like, Taddeus, your monkey stuck up on me with a folding chair. <laughs> Honestly, for me, Randy Savage, what he did outside of wrestling, there's two things that stick in my head. One morning, they had him on Good Morning America doing cooking. And he was like, we're going to make little bag chili, yeah. And they're like, do you do you dress like that all the time? He goes, oh, yeah, I just roll out of bed and throw this stuff on. He's got, like, all the this, this shirt with, like, all the streamers and stuff on it. They go, do you cook a lot? He goes, I'm hell on wheels in the kitchen, brother, yeah. And then the other one is Rasslor oh, from, from Dial in for yes. Monkey. I was going to say that. I just like when he's like, I could crush you like a bug, but I couldn't like best your spirit or something. Like he just brags the whole time. I could break your body. I could crush your bones, but I could never crush your spirit. I will spare your earth. Yeah. You you need to look up. It's so good. The Space Ghost Coast to Coast one is so great because I'm pretty sure they just had him sit in a chair for 10 minutes. And just whatever he, like, ranted about. Also, I mean, okay. it, it needs to be s- said, but his um, bone saw from Spider-Man was really great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. And um, his Hulk Hogan rap is... <laughs> I remember him sitting in a chair in an internet video. He's like, yeah, so I was going to have a match with Hogan. It was going to be for charity, but Hulk Hogan, you're a giant pussy, yeah. And I was just like, whoa, okay, this is what we're in for. It's it's also one of my favorite memes, and it's it's sacrilegious, but um, when he died, 
that guy had um, predicted Armageddon a couple days later. Yeah. And so someone oh, did the a asteroid meme. that was gonna. Yeah. And so someone had done a meme of like one of those famous pictures of Jesus praying, and then it's Randy Savage like <laughs> behind him dropping the elbow, and it's like why the world didn't end or something. The Your one I s- yeah, Randy Savage died for yeah. to save us. The one that I saw had Savage like elbow dropping out of the clouds yeah. onto the guy that was predicting the. No, this one was <laughs> this one was on Jesus. Well, the Where's Randy Savage page took a big hit that day. So, anyway, I'm going to move us on to our next match. Um, after the 10 minute video clip, the next match was. Andre the Giant and the Twin Towers, which is the Big Boss Man, and Akeem the African Dream. Incidentally, that's one man gang. Incidentally, also a white dude. <clears throat> Versus Demolition and King Duggan. This match clocked in at about seven and a half minutes, and it was fun from bell to bell. This match was way more fun than you would ever think it would be on paper. Yeah. I mean, this is at the end of Andre's career, basically. He's not moving real well. And yet, he's still clocked in there for like another year. Um, yeah. Even winning the tag team championships with uh, Haku. He still yeah. wanted to wrestle like well after this, too. Yeah. And he played a good role in this match, too. Like, he was he was the, the panic button. In, in case Akeem and Bossman were on the ropes, that's when Andre came in. So he didn't have to do stuff very much. He was he was the in case of emergency break glass plan. I I liked how Duggan came out with like um he came out with a mask like demolition and then he mm-hmm. had like his own face paint. <clears throat> I also yeah. like I don't remember where it own- was in this, but I liked how he cut like a demolition esque promo when they had their backstage segment. Mm-hmm. So I forgot about King Duggan. I forgot that that was like a thing that they did for a while. But when he came out and he had like the King Garvon, one of the things that I found actually incredibly amusing is if you notice the two by four, <laughs> the two by four is both decorated up like in a little robe and has a little <laughs> miniature king <laughs> It has a crown on it. Well, yeah, you know what? You know what? I, and it's got the red, white, and blue paint. I it. saw that and I like just about shit myself. But I was just laughing. You know what so the best part that. was is when he hit when he hit a key with it. You saw that crowd go flying off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so I I also looked it up just for Andre's last match, and it was December fourth. No wait. Yeah, December fourth. 1992, Andre the Giant, Giant Baba, and Rusher Kimura defeat Haruka Egan, Masanobu, Masanobu Fuchi, and Motoshi Okuma in All Japan. It, it was it was kind of sad to see how what kind of shape Andre was in, but this was this. <laughs> Tag on it, Matt. I'm trying to get my composure here. <laughs> I'm sending uh, Randy Savage memes <laughs> to our group text. So, but this was it was this was this was 
when you go into this, you're thinking like best case scenario, and they did exactly what they should have done for this match. I just mm. like that it was just a bunch mm. of big guys just beating the shit out of each other. Yep. Oh, yeah. And they did. And, oh, it was a lot of fun. And now, when I said earlier this felt like an NWA show, this felt like an NWA match. Yeah, I can see that. Because this, there was a very, there was a very gritty feel to this match. Oh yeah, definitely. But it was so much fun. And Bossman was great in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bouncing around and selling and stuff. I actually thought Akeem was really good in this too. Better than I'm used to him being. Yeah, for this period of his career. Like, if you go to Mid-South, he's really good, but he kind of didn't give a crap once he was in. Well, I believe you had said that that going up to New York was kind of time to just kind of drag it. Yeah, take your... Cash and checks, yeah. yeah. But this was really good. I thought this was the perfect length of time, too. Oh, yeah, and it seemed to go by quicker. Like, it just seemed to fly by. Yeah, definitely. I would say it would be controversial from a fun standpoint. This would actually probably be my second favorite match of the show. Oh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I'd I'd probably put the other six-man as a match I prefer, but um, this was a great little match. Yeah, I enjoyed the hell out of this. <clears throat> so and, okay, and then things took a precipitous oh nosedive. Oh my god, this show went off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> As Lewis Black would say, things took a turn. So I mean, Ronnie Garvin in a tux was kind of humorous. Yeah, so that leads us into our next match, which was the Greg Valentine with Jimmy Hart. Uh, versus Hercules. So, I don't know if I lost consciousness during this match, I just blinked, but all I remember is Greg Valentine using the ropes and pinning Hercules, and I'm like, huh, I must have, like, just blocked this from my brain or something. It was really short. It was really short, and then you had the really weird awkwardness of Garvin, like being the announcer, like, changing the finish and giving the match to Herc. They're yeah, good. refusing to... And, yeah, but it it got, like, nothing from the crowd. Like, no one cared. Valentine and Hart were getting, like, really... Um, really offended for no reason by that. <sighs> it's... Yeah, it was... It was... Just odd the punch he landed on valentine was cool though yeah he just hit him once like uh garvin just hit him once so uh, it was and and then he tumbled so <laughs> yeah anyway the it, this deserves I've, this doesn't deserve much more conversation I don't, I don't think it does. The next match was Ted DiBiase with Virgil versus Jimmy Snuka. And so, um, this sucked. 
<laughs> it was not a good match. It was it's it's to me it was actually kind of like a ponderous match because they gave Snooker like a lot of offense. It's amazing it's amazing how um how bad he got. Yeah, and it it just it made no sense to me because they gave they gave him so much offense against DiBiase who was at this point what? Probably kind of what the second top heel he was kind of coming down the card a bit but i think he'd still be like the third Mm. this is kind of like the tail end of him like as a because once you get past this he's doing like mid card stuff with like duggan and stuff like that yeah well he would have the the feud with dusty not long after this match yeah um and then then you had him go into the whole like tag team well, no, he did the Virgil thing. Oh, yeah, that's right. Which was big. Um, I don't know. This was... I don't know. It was a weird match. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really was. This is a... This is, um... I know this is a tough match to have because this is like the death spot because you're just like you're staring down that that tag team main event. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 really the Valentine Herc and then this is honestly they're they're kind of you said they're in the death slot or you could also they're kind of in the piss break spot. Um, where you want people to kind of wind down before you get into that main event. This this match. So they've got some energy. After this match, I, I took about an hour break before I came back to the main event. <laughs> well, then let's go ahead and go into the main event because that match happened. Um, so how do we want to approach this main event? Do we just want to go into how bad Zeus was, or do we want to, like... Well, let's tell everybody. We had mentioned Old Holds Barred earlier. The antagonist, I suppose the physical threat in No Holds Barred, because I don't remember what Hogan... Was Hogan's character named Rip, or something yep, like that? Rip. The fact that I remembered that should probably cause me shame. It um, could probably concern you <laughs> that you know that much yeah. about the movie. Remember that much? Yeah. Um, so Zeus, played by Tiny Lister, was the physical threat against Hogan's character. And the, he wasn't like the primary antagonist because he was um, – there was the, the promoter or something was really the primary antagonist that kind of directed Zeus around. And yet, the movie comes out and Vince decides we need to have Zeus in a program with Hogan. And yet, to take an untrained stiff and put him out there just straight against Hogan, they recognize that's a bad idea. So they make it a tag match. They tag Savage with Zeus. This is after Savage turned heel on Hogan and broke up the Mega Powers, right? This would have, um, Mania 5 would have been, like, late March, early April, and that would have been Hogan winning the title off of Savage, so this would have probably, this would have been the next big show after that happened. 
Okay, mm-hmm. so we, we have reason for Savage to still be raw. And Hogan teams up with Brutus Beefcake. Yeah, because this would be... this would Because he does. This would be Beefcake's <laughs> big, like... 89 is kind of like Beefcake's big year. Okay. So we've got... We have this match happen. And they'd been trying to build up Zeus as this threat and stuff. And then we get to this match. And, like, Savage is working hard, and Hogan is working hard, and Beefcake's working hard. And it just doesn't seem to quite be enough, does it? Well, okay, I have a question for you as someone that's trained, been around people new to the business. So let's mm-hmm. say let's say you had four months to get, we'll just say, like, someone, anyone ready for a wrestling match. Mm-hmm. Do you think you could have gotten them? We're saying like an average person. Like, do you think you could have had, had a, them more mechanically confident in the ring than, um, Zeus four months. It would depend. Here's the one big factor, the mindset of the person I'm trying to train, because if they are piss scared of getting hurt, then it doesn't matter what you do with them. And the fact that this dude didn't bump at all leads me to believe that he didn't want to. He didn't want to bump. I like yeah. You know, he was he was scared of what would happen. You know, I have to question though, seeing how like awkward and stiff he was. I'm not sure he could bump. Here's the thing about if and it could have looked. He could have. He could have looked so bad doing it. They decided to not have him bump too. That's potentially true. There's there's some things that some guys will do whenever they first start out. Is they got a bad habit of planting one foot whenever they bump, and that's a that's a great way to break an ankle. And so that was something we had new people on. We would work on that and work on it, and work on it, work on it, work on it, and they would still people who just planted one foot whenever it was time to bump never broke that. And it was like, look. We cannot, in good conscience, put you out there because you're you're going to break your leg doing it. Um, and you know what? That's that is not going to be a, my fault. You know, we doing stuff. You know, even doing like the the schoolyard bully thing where the guy gets down on his hands and knees behind someone and you push him over. They still never got it. Now, if if you had someone who'd be willing to bump, and someone who's if if he could bump and he wouldn't he'd only have to do it like a couple of times in a match like this, then you could conceivably do something. You know, you you run into him and he's, you know shoulder block or clothesline or something. I could believe that his working punches were garbage. Okay, my working punches were garbage for a long time, <clears throat> but I could see you doing like some of that stuff, right? I'm not expecting him to like, you know. Be be throwing a you know I'm even barring things like throwing a scoop slam or something. You could like for example you could have him hip toss beefcake or something, but we didn't get any of that. Even instead, like, even like a headlock, you really didn't even go for that. No, instead we had him hug. I, it was either Hogan or Beefcake. Like wrap him tenderly in his arms and ride him down into the missionary position. <laughs> It, the only, yeah, he really 
The only thing more bad than that was the Yeti dry humping Hogan at World War Three. Oh Jesus! What were you going to say, Matt? Uh, no, I just Zeus literally could do nothing but a bear hug, and then he would occasionally mix it up with like a choke, and then that was it. Yeah, it, and it was just amazing. Like, look, I we've we've discussed uh, reviewing No Holds Barred. I actually think that would be a pretty fun <laughs> podcast. Um. I'm certainly going to be drinking a large amount of alcohol before we have to deal with that nonsense. See, that's I think not that'd... fair. I can't do that, and you guys could. I think that would actually be a really good podcast for us to do in the future. But so I want to get into like the nitty gritty, in depth discussion of of No Holds Bar. But I guess I'm just I'm so confused as to why they had this this actor even try to to do matches because I forgot about Zeus. I tried to purge that from my memory, but looking this up um, after I watched this match, I did not realize that they had them feuding like basically throughout the remainder of the year. And he never worked and a like, TV match. Yeah, and it's like I don't know how you how are you doing this? Yeah, cat. Did he have a speaking role in <laughs> No Holds Barred? Zeus. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but not. I don't think he had a whole lot of exposition. Did he talk in the promos or anything like on this show? Because I don't remember him talking. I don't think so. He didn't really talk much. I think he. Well, you know, you know what's crazy is they brought him back in '96 for the Dungeon of Doom. Or Z Gangsta. Yeah. Oh God. I didn't. Well, let's just let's um. Let's let's go over his match history. So he has this. Then there's the Survivor Series match, which is Axe, Hulk Hogan, Jake Roberts, and Smash first. Ted DiBiase, the Barbarian, the Warlord, and Zeus. Then there is a no holds barred steel cage match, which is Beefcake and Hogan versus Savage and Zeus. Then there's a Puerto Rico match where he beats Abdullah the Butcher by count out. And then there's 96 and WCW, Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage defeat Arn Anderson, Kevin Sullivan, Lex Luger, Maine, Ric Flair, the Barbarian, The Ultimate Solution, and Zeke Gangsta. Oh, yeah. Ultimate Solution. Which was a very bad idea to use as a name for a... That wasn't even the original name, because the original name was actually Final Solution. So, mm-hmm. I don't remember that gimmick. Was it a Nazi gimmick? No. Wow. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I know, right? Yeah, okay. Well, the the Abdullah match is on YouTube, but I, <laughs> I couldn't bring myself to watch today because I got home and I'm like, I'm going to watch that. Abdullah match, and then I was like, I can't do that to myself. If it's not if it's not Abby like stabbing him with a knife or a with a stick, fork. Yeah, a fork. It's, yeah, it's not repeatedly watch. Yeah, so I I will try and bite that bullet and report back. Shad, I'll probably watch it tomorrow. Shad commented on this, and it's all I've been able to think about for the last day is his eyes Uh-oh. were like fucked up. <laughs> My wife actually mentioned that, like she casually looked at the screen as I was watching 
the match and she's like, what's wrong with his eye? Like, I don't know. It was wonky. I, yeah. I mean, to be, to be fair, dude, maybe this isn't the most sensitive term for it, but you know, he's a big boy. I imagine he could take, Dude had an eye so lazy that I couldn't tell if he was looking at Hogan or the dude in the front row with nachos. <laughs> and I do like nachos. You know, he was he was he was a big guy, but he was strangely not intimidated at all. <laughs> if you have if you walk around with your arms out to the side like like he was way scarier as Debo in Friday. Was he in Friday? Was he? Oh yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah, he was Debo. But when when you walk around like that, then it it kind of looks with your arms out like that. It kind of looks like a little kid trying not to take a dump as he walks around. They really, they they really could have. I don't think they could have made that match work by the fact that like I feel like, and you said it earlier, it felt like. Um, Beefcake Hogan and Savage were working their butts off to make this work. And yet it still didn't really. They tried. I mean, like they tried hard. Savage God threw himself at it. And it still it just didn't really. I'm looking at I'm looking at um Zeus's filmography now. He has been in a lot of stuff. Yeah, he's been in a ton of movies over the years. Yeah, he was in The Dark Knight. Ooh, he was in The Human That's Centipede right. Three. Ooh. No, thank you. Yeah, Innovate Number One Seventy Eight. He did an episode of Fresh Prince of Bel Air, Perfect Strangers, three episodes of Matlock, Walker Texas Ranger. Well, I mean, if you do Matlock, then I think you have to do Walker, Texas Ranger. He's even done. Mu- he's done a lot of music videos too. Yeah, he was in uh, Riding Dirty. Interesting. I'm looking Zootopia. But, but I, I remember the other. The thing I really remember as being his best performance is that he was he was in uh, The Dark Knight, and he was the guy that took the detonator on the prison boat and threw it out the window. And it was like his his best performance, and he didn't have to emote. I don't know. <laughs> you know, he was in Little Nicky. That's a hard one to top. Uh, and barbed wire. And uh, I, he's in Jackie Brown. Let's see. Ooh, Don Juan DeMarco and the Meteor Man. Universal Soldier. Oh my god. Beverly Hills Cop 2. Ooh, Armed and Dangerous. That has to be his best performance. (laughs) Oh, somebody help me. A John Candy classic, might I add. Ouch. So, Just, n- not a good match. No. Yeah. This match, just, it, it, they tried really hard, but they couldn't do anything with him. And then, at the end, it just got stupid. It was, it just... 
Well, we did get to see Sherry's butt, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, it... Yeah. I didn't like the atomic dropping of Sherry. The part where Elizabeth kind of gave her a shot was cool, but I don't know. Yeah, well, it's... It it I put it in the same realm as Tommy Dreamer pile driving, um, Francine. One of the win- yeah pile driving Francine. It's just kind of, it's like a n- n- maybe product of the times thing. I, I honestly I don't think it would have done either of those things. But the closest that I ended up with was. When I was, you know, being the enforcer for a heel group is putting putting a woman in a headlock so that the other woman in the group could just deface her with makeup all over. But, you know, I didn't, like, bump her or beat her up or anything. Again, the beautiful the beautiful thing about this is that Ventura actually points it out again. Points out what? The... Abusing a woman, Shabbat. <laughs> so, so one of the one of the this is a little off topic, but one of the best segments from like early Raws is um Sherry Martell and Luna Fashan getting into this huge brawl like at ringside, and they were like tearing each other's clothes off. Like aside from that, like the crowd got super into it because it was this super heated like confrontation between the two of them, and I don't think they ever wrestled. So yeah. Mm. That was like one of those. I think that was after WrestleMania. They got in this huge, like, this huge fight. It was, it was really good. Sherry was an underrated talent. I always looked at at Sherry being the just a great, um, just just a great heel manager. She was a decent wrestler too. I never really got to. I never really saw much of that. Uh, they know she never really got paired up with anyone that amazing. Fair enough. So, what we had here was, you know, a show that was. I'd say it's two hours. Pretty good. Two hours of great, forty minutes of crap. So we could kind of compare it to modern shows and saying, yeah, they were doing pretty good, and then we got to the end. I think the difference there is the main event was dumb, but it wasn't booked poorly. Okay, I can see that. Because if they did that show now, they would have done all that crap and then had, like, Zeus pin Hogan or something. Oh, yeah, so the the feud can continue. Yeah. Ugh. Just, no, thank you. I... Ugh. Okay, so SummerSlam '89. Where, where do we put it on our scale? I give it a thumbs up. If I was grading it on a scale of ten, I'd give it a seven point five. I'm gonna myself. I'm gonna give it a a thumbs, like mostly up, like kind of tilted inward. It's, it's, it's all right. What about you, Matt? I would absolutely give this a, a thumbs up. I get, yeah, I get, I get lost in some, some of the stuff bugs me, but you know, 
that's just personal taste. It's it's positive the whole way around. The, the bad stuff is short, other than the main event. That's true. So, well, guys, unless we have anything else we want to add, um, this has been our retrospective on SummerSlam 1989 on the Four Corners Podcast on the Pit Podcast Network. This is Shad, Brad, and Matt. I want to thank you all for joining us. We'll see you next time. Fuck Batman. <laughs> <laughs>